It's rare for a day to go by at the moment where I'm not reminded that we are still living in a recession and that that recession is affecting all of us in one way or another. In conversations the past week, one couple cannot sell their house and move as they had planned into a condominium. They can't sell it at a level that, that uh, allows them to continue their life plan where another, another friend has to sell way below what used to be the value just because there's no more money and the wolf is at the door. And a friend who's lost her job is the wrong side of 55 for employment purposes and she is scared and she's not sure that she's going to be able to work ever again and she's not sure how she's going to make it and how she's going to pay the bills. And a man in uh, development, real estate commercial development, has shared with me that he hasn't done a deal for two and a half years and does, just doesn't know how he's going to make it. There is no more money and there's no deals out there and it's a frightening, frightening time. And even those of us who are doing okay, and there are plenty of us doing okay, are aware that we're doing more with less and that everywhere we turn, people are asking for more, including incidentally All Saints Church, uh, and, and asking us to be more generous asking us to give more money uh, than last year, buy more, save more, and on and on and on to bring some sort of light out of this recession. Do you remember Willie Loman? Willie Loman was the man from uh, Arthur Miller's play, The Death of a Salesman, and he was held up in this post-Second World War uh, economic boom. Willie was held up as, as, a, as a failure, was judged a failure by his children, uh, and all he thought the secret of life was to be well-liked. He spent his whole time trying to, trying to make sure he was liked. Well, a woman called um, uh, Juliet Baird, I believe, wrote a column in the Newsweek thinking about Willie Loman and saying that his grandchildren would count him a success. Think about it. He held a job for 38 years. He had paid off his last mortgage payment and owned his house. These days, we think we're buying a house, but as someone pointed out, we're really buying a financial product from a bank most of the time. And he'd paid off his house, and he owned it. And he had a wife, and he had two children, and he would be accounted a great success for surviving. Survival in these anxious days is a victory for many of us. And so being reminded that we live in the richest nation on earth, and at the same time that one in seven Americans are at or below the poverty line, and being reminded that we ought to feel guilty in some way, or we ought to be doing something more, or we ought to be responding uh, out, of our, out of our wealth, or whatever it is, is not terribly helpful. Being told that money is the root of all evil is not terribly helpful on the face of it. So what does a parable about making sure that we are seeing the challenges of those around us. What does this parable have to offer that can qualify as something resembling good news? What is the good news for us this morning? Luke's been addressing wealth and poverty from the beginning of the gospel. In the Magnificat, the, the mighty will be cast down and the poor will be lifted up. John the Baptist trumpeted the need for justice for the poor. Jesus was run out of town for saying the justice that you're looking for is, is happening now finally underway when he preached at his local synagogue. And last week we heard him address uh, his disciples and that strange story of the unjust steward which was really telling them, you need to use your wealth in the service of relationship 
You need to be shrewd about using your wealth for the building up of right relationships. And so today he turns, same topic, turns to the Pharisees. And he takes on the Pharisees' commitment. And the Pharisees were committed to a, what, the equivalent of a prosperity gospel. And they were, they read Deuteronomy 28. And they saw in there that if you were in right relationship with God, then you were going to be blessed materially. Blessed with your fields, blessed with children, blessed with great houses and so on. And, and Jesus says, no, you cannot assume that blessings come from, from that material means you are blessed. Blessings come from doing justice, doing right by our neighbors, seeing them, knowing their names, hearing their stories. And so having lots of money is not a sign of God's blessing. God's blessing is, is about how we use the money, not actually whether or not we have it. That age-old popular belief is out. And so too is the hope that justice will only be seen in reversal, the belief that both rich and poor will get what is coming to them, what is their due. We all know there's a certain amount of luck involved in being wealthy. And, and many of us harbor some expectation that justice means we'll get our turn. We want to get our turn sooner or later. And, and uh, even if the luck is only where we were born, we know there's luck involved. But living in the hope that we're going to get our turn and suddenly blessed in a way that's going to make us fabulously wealthy is a pipe dream. I'm not suddenly going to learn to throw a football and, and I'm not suddenly going to wake up one day and have the perfect figure or whatever it is you know, that, that, that makes for wealth. That's not justice, says St. Luke, even if the consequences of how we use our money are eternal. Jesus not advocating that the inmate should run the asylum or the poor should suddenly be in charge of the government so that others are not. What he wants us to see, really see, is each other. What he's after is a world in which our money is used in the service of right relationship and not as a means of avoiding right relationship for any reason. And so if there's good news for us in the middle of recession, while our economy is reset in ways that will leave many of us with quite changed fortunes, then that good news is found in the assurance that we really are beloved of God. And that in that assurance of that love, we can face anything that comes our way. And some of the things that come our way are going to be frightening. And, 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 and we may not find there's a quick fix. And some of our fears will be realized. But in the assurance that we are loved, we can face anything. We'll make it through. We might be changed, but we'll be all right because we know that we are beloved of God. I frequently find myself praying, often at the healing rail, that God will shine a light on the paths prepared for us to walk in and grant us grace and courage to walk those paths in the assurance that we are loved. It's not a prayer about predestination or fate. It's a prayer that we can see clearly what we're facing, that we can look into our lives honestly. And, 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 and face them with fortitude, realizing and remembering that love is more important than money, that love is more important even than health, that love is in fact more important even than life itself. One of the things we learn from Jesus on the cross is not so much that death is overcome, 
But the power of death is overcome. Death is not the last word. Love is the last word. And God is trustworthy even when things are really, really bad. And so we are enjoined to keep being generous, to keep living free, to keep putting aside anxiety and remembering what is really important. We might have to discover what generosity means all over again in a new circumstance. Jesus watched a widow put a tiny coin in the collection and praised her because she was generous with all she had. She faced probable ruin, and she still had the capacity for generosity because God's blessing is not so much found in material abundance but in the kind of relationships that are life-giving, life-giving to all. So survival in these days may well be a victory, but it's an empty victory if it leads us to live pinched and parsimonious lives. I've shared before my own spiritual practice when I get anxious about money of making a gift and how that, how that extra gift, just something, liberates me, reminds me, resets, resets me, turns me back to what is really important, helps me set aside uh, anxiety. What's your practice in, ancient, uh, in anxious days? How do you reset and, and challenge those things that distort life? Perhaps uh, someone around you needs your help and you know that someone in your circle of friends or family is really scared and is really suffering. And, and what they really need is you to write a check and you can't do it because you just can't fix everything for everyone. But perhaps instead of avoiding that friend, maybe your discipline is to call them every couple of days, just connect, stay in touch, because when we're afraid, it can be so isolating and we can feel so lonely. And so not only are you making a gift with that telephone call, but perhaps you're freeing yourself from the fear, from maybe from survivor guilt, maybe the sense that, that I'm hanging on, I don't want to be tainted by someone who isn't. Maybe that's underlying and that, that needs to be addressed in some way that frees you. Or perhaps the practice you need is one in which you challenge your own tendency to think that making it is God's blessing. Because if that's true, does that mean God's not blessing our neighbor? No. Jesus says, go for right relationship. And so perhaps your practice, if you have that tendency, perhaps your practice will be to, to come stand next to someone who's building hope at a Habitat house, who's building their own home with their own labor, and stand next to them and work with that man or woman and see them, and see them clearly. And in the seeing, find you're not only giving a gift of time and a gift of your labor, but also finding that you're receiving the gift of seeing what is really important, of being reset so that we, together, can be leaven in a broken world, can be a sign of hope to a hopeless world, can be proclaimers of the gospel in word and deed to a world that is in recession and is hungry and is afraid and is anxious and can be real community for one another in these days. It's our usual practice to take a time of silence for prayer. And I suggest that you try giving thanks for those people. They may not still be alive, but give thanks for those people 
who help you remember and teach you that you really are beloved and that in love you can face anything. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.